Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. It is Sunday afternoon. I am still in Indianapolis. I'm standing here all week leading up to next weekend's Redbud doubleheader. I was at the race yesterday. It's the first Lucas Oil Pro Motocross race of the season that I've been at, and it was pretty awesome. Definitely one of the best weather-wise races that I've been to in a very long time. wasn't really that hot. It was sunny all day. We did get that uh, shower for those of you that listen to my uh, Patreon podcast that's on Saturday mornings. You'll remember that it was raining when I woke up, but that turned into a really nice day. We did have a, a pretty ruddy racetrack because of that Saturday morning rain, but that's okay. I, I actually thought the track was pretty awesome and pretty cool to watch and made for interesting lines. It allowed guys to get creative, and it really changed throughout the day. I just re- went back and rewatched the 450 motos, and you could really see the lines develop as the day went on in that second moto. Some of the outsides and very insides were opening up as some of the dirt got harder. And I thought that that Tomac did a really good job, and Barsha too. Uh, They really innovated some of the lines that were coming in. And I felt like if you stayed in the same lines that maybe you tried to use in the first moto, hint, hint, Marvin Muscan, that you were penalized for it. You just weren't able to hold your lap times. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But first, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast Pirelli Tires, Blenzo Oils, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Fly Racing. But as I was saying, I think that there was a, there was a noticeable change in between motos, and you really had to be mindful of that. And that's something that guys should really be looking for on that parade lap. Now, I wasn't paying attention to see if guys were really going for it or if they were taking their time and looking at the track. I usually don't. Um, I do in Supercross. That's one thing I watch for because I've noticed that a lot of the Baker's Factory guys, he has obviously instructed them to push hard on that on that parade lap to try to get your uh, intensity up a little bit, get your heart rate up, and get used to going fast, where myself included, a lot of guys will go very slow and look for lines and really inspect the racetrack and see if anything's changed, see if there are lines that could possibly come in halfway through a race or a main event or what have you. Now, I don't know what Marvin did or didn't or Tomac did or didn't, but that's one thing I saw is you could really start to make a lot of time up, and especially in the second half of the second moto, if you kept your eyes open and and watched for lines developing. So if you do, if you're a nerd like me and you go back and watch the races throughout the week or whatever, you'll see that. Uh, the corner before the finish line, Eli started going all the way to the outside and carrying a ton of speed through that corner and then 
jumping jumping that double across the corner and then really accelerating through the finish line jump. That was one thing I noticed. Uh, a couple lines past the mechanics area that outside opened up a little bit. And really just all the way around the racetrack there were and it was almost on the extreme sides of the track. That's that's usually where it happens is you know the guys aren't going there as much. The middle normal race lines get worn out and a lot of times guys will be dodging mud and everybody kind of funnels into the same line to dodge, you know, to use the the hardest, driest sections of the racetrack. Well, by four or five o'clock in the afternoon, even those muddy spots generally have dried out enough to use. But if you don't go try them, or if you have kind of tunnel vision and you forget about that dynamic, you know, kind of ever changing throughout the day, you'll stay in that rough line and you'll start to lose time. And instead of doing a you know, since Cerullo dropped down into the 159s, you'll be at 201, and you won't really know why. And, you know, I need to go back and watch Marvin even a little bit more closely. But I think from his press conference comments where he was saying that, you know, his line choice wasn't very good, that's what I would really directly point to is that he tried to do the same thing because that, that's kind of what happens, right? Uh, guys have such a great first moto. He goes out there and wins really wasn't challenged all that much you know Tomac kept him honest but he never really felt heat and he led wire to wire whole shot to finish so going into that second moto it would be very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that all those lines are going to work again and I just have to execute that game plan again but unfortunately on a day like that where it starts out very muddy and continually gets better you have to change your lines throughout the day And, and Marvin is obviously very smart he is smart enough to know that, and he's probably kicking himself on Sunday for not changing up his line choice. Um, thinking more about it back, I, th- I thought Justin Barsha was maybe the best of all those guys because you could see him moving through the pack. You know, he, he came from behind all those guys, almost past Tomac about halfway, and then chased him all the way through the, you know, through the field, passing Osborne and passing Cincerillo and, and Muscan and everybody to get up and almost win that moto. So just one of the dynamics I saw playing out and maybe the difference in why you saw a guy like Marvin be, you know, so effective in the first moto, but maybe just a touch off and kind of scratching his head as to why he was a touch off. Uh, because the, you know, that's just what happens on a, on a day like Saturday where the, the track changes constantly. Like every single lap, the track is changing just a tiny bit. And if you add up all those subtle changes over, you know, two motos, basically, by the time that, uh, you know, halfway through the first 450 moto, all the way through another 250 moto, and then into the second 450 moto, that's, you know, an hour and a half, at least, of, uh, of time for a track to dry out and, and for just hundreds of runs through corners by all those bikes over and over. So let's jump into uh, 250 class first. I, I, I like this format where I kind of do a rapid fire on – things I saw and comments that I, I jotted down based on each guy. And it really keeps me on task. So let's go through that. I know, I know for longtime listeners of this podcast, you know, I had my uh, power rankings there and we can get back into that. If, if you guys want some of that, I'm happy to do it. But I like staying on to things that are were relevant because, you know, sometimes with uh, the power rankings, it just gets really redundant. You don't see a lot of movement, but these are, Kind of my thoughts. So the 250 class, you know, J-Mart gets the win. That's two in a row. And for most of you, you're probably wondering, how did J-Mart win two races in a row when 
I think most people would consider Ferrandis to be the best guy in the class. Well, what, that's what happens when you get bad starts and you crash on the starts. Things don't go your way all the time. Even if you are significantly better and turning the best lap times and doing all these things and looking at social media, I know uh, Jimmy Button, his agent, was getting a little frustrated with comments that were made, whatever. But listen, even if you're the best guy, there's a lot to racing. There are a lot of factors that go into winning overalls. It's not just about being the fastest guy. Now, the first moto, he dominated. I mean, unreal how good he was riding. And second moto, too. Both, both motos, really, the riding was the same. But you can't, you can't crash on the start. You can't get bad starts. You can't choose the wrong front tire like he did at Loretta Lens 2. Second moto, Loretta Lens 2. Those things will catch up to you. And if you're J-Mart and you're a touch-off just a little bit, you know, he wasn't able to go with Ferrandis in that first moto, and I think he would even admit that Ferrandis's pace was just a little bit too much for him. But if you're there every single time and you're going to start up front and you're going to be there to step in anytime there's a mistake, there's a lot to be said for that. There have been a lot of titles won in exactly that scenario. Go back to 97, Supercross. Jeff Emig, in my opinion, was not the best rider in that series. I think anybody that knows anything about Supercross would tell you that Jeremy McGrath was better than Jeff Emig at Supercross. Period. End of story. Full stop. But Jeff Emig was your champ because Jeremy had problems with the Suzuki. He got a flat tire at Daytona. He did, he, you know, just little mistakes. Things happened because the program came together so late and they had clutch issues and they had all kinds of problems with the Suzuki. And bingo, Jeff Emig ends up being your champ. Kind of the same thing with the Outdoor Series in 96. Those two, the same thing. I believe that Jeremy McGrath was the best rider, and I think most people would agree with me. Jeff Emig ends up your champ because he's there to pick up the pieces. McGrath has a big crash at Millville. He pulls off the second moto, which, you know, if you've listened to any podcast with McGrath, it's one of his biggest regrets of his life is pulling off that second moto at Millville. It ended up costing him another championship, you know, a very coveted outdoor motocross championship, which he, we all know he had to work very hard for. So I'm not saying that Jeremy Martin's going to win this title. I believe that Dylan Ferrandis will get it together and, and he will eventually be your champ. But, but if Jeremy Martin continues to stay right where he is and when Ferrandis is on it, J-Mart second. And when Ferrandis has an issue, J-Mart wins. There's something to be said for that. This, this title could really get tight and tracks like Millville. I think J Mart's going to have something for Ferrandis. He's got to win those races though. I'll tell you that on the front end, a race like Millville, that's at your house. Your parents own the facility. You have to win. You have to go beat Ferrandis and gain points. There, there is no way around that in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're kind of excluding DNFs and mechanicals and all kinds of stupid things that could change the series, but all things being equal, if you're Jeremy Martin, you know, on September 19th, you better go prepare to beat Dylan Ferrandez straight up and send a message. But I love the fact that we have a series still in the 250 class. I believe it's six points between the two. Because on the track, if you're just looking at the riding, you would think Ferrandez would be dominating this. He, he really has ridden to a level, you know, lap time-wise and just the eye test. Ferrandez should have a huge lead. And, and I can understand his frustration, but you also just have to stay calm and realize that, you know, if you're the best guy and you eliminate the mistakes, this thing will be pretty easy. So, again, I'm happy that we have a series because I think it would be 
a very likely and very easy situation for that not to be the case and this for this to be a runaway. And we may still get a runaway. You know, we're only three rounds in. We're, we've only been to two tracks. And Ferrandis has proven that, you know, if they start together, he's probably going to run away. So let's hope they stay together. Um, I don't have really a vested interest in this other than just wanting to be entertained. Amart, he rode pretty well. Um, you know, I, I didn't think that he was going to go out and win like Steve Mathis did, but I think his riding has been pretty solid. Now I thought Steve made a great point in just our text the other day. He has to get the starts. He's got to get starts because these kids that he's battling with the uh, Brandon Hart, Hartramped and Justin Cooper's and Joe Shimoda's and all these kids, Jet Lawrence, if they get the start on them, it's very difficult for, for Amart just to out sprint them. You know, he can wear them down. I believe his fitness is right up there with the best in this sport. But he's got to get up there with him. I, I don't know that he has the speed to necessarily chase them down from way back. And that was really the missing piece for him yesterday was the starts. You know, Loretta wins two. He nailed those starts. And you see what happens. Speaking of Brandon Hartranth, what a ride. I, I watched both motos very near his father, who I don't, really don't know at all, but um, you could see just how nervous his dad was. And for Brandon, he's in a contract year. He does not have a ride right, right now for 2021. It, it really is a critical time for him and his career because we know all the difficulties that COVID-19 has put on the teams. And there are a lot of free agents right now, you know, guys like March Banks and even guys on his own team like Derek Drake. You know, he's competing against those guys for a job for 2021, and the time is right now. Personally, I love to see one guy step up because that's really, you know, in the face of all that pressure and adversity, to be able to rise above that and put in your best career ever outdoor motocross race result-wise, you know, going 3-3, I'm all for that. That shows a lot of maturity, and it just shows poise because I know he's feeling the pressure. I I overheard, you know, a conversation he was having with uh, an agent in this sport about another conversation that his dad had with Brandon. It's like, Hey, it's, we got to make this happen. Like we don't have a lot of answers right now as far as what we can do for 2021. So it's up to you to do this. You have the, you know, you have factory equipment, you are in shape. Everything is there. It's just up to you. You've got to go get it done. And that's exactly what it did. So I want to give a lot of credit to Hartranth. It was uh, a pretty impressive ride. He really never let J Mark go. And that was pretty awesome. Because I figured, yeah, okay, J-Mart's going to run away. Hartrance will stay in there. Maybe Jet gets him, maybe not. But he kind of latched into J-Mart and held his lap time the whole time. And that was that proved fitness. It proved, you know, sprint speed. It proved a lot of things. And it proved he can actually be a podium guy in this class, which is what teams want. That's what they want. And I have this argument with people all the time about, well, this privateer deserves a shot. And this privateer should be hired and blah, blah, blah. The fact is, teams want podiums, period. That's what they want. They don't care. They, they want guys that can win. They want guys that can run up front. They don't necessarily care about consistency or that this guy showed a lot of heart or any of that. Like, it's all cool, and that's it's important to me, but I'm not running a team, and I'm not hiring riders for, you know, factory rides. They want guys that can get their name, their team, and their sponsors on the podium. End of story. That's all that really matters, and it's all that's ever going to really matter. It's just a, a hard fact about the sport, and it's not one that I, I think people really like, but it's never really changed, and I know that firsthand because if, if not, I would have had a factory ride. 
I was not capable of running podium speed, and that's why I wasn't up there. It wasn't the fact that I didn't try hard enough or I didn't put in enough effort or had, didn't have enough heart or any of that. It just wasn't the, it was the fact that I wasn't fast enough at my very best to be a podium level guy and to get a team on TV where, you know, the big dollars are spent. Now a smaller team, sure. You can get them enough publicity to make sense, but a factory team, they, they absolutely require the highest levels of performance. They need you leading motos, winning motos, being on the podium, getting them on NBC Sports, etc. So I uh, got off on a little tangent there. But that shouldn't over, overshadow the fact that Hartram absolutely got it done yesterday. Jet Lawrence, pretty solid day. Uh, what did he go? 4-5, four, 4-4? Four, four, no, 4-4, four, four, I think. Or 5-4, I don't know. I should have that right in front of me, but I don't. I know he was on my fantasy team, though, and he rode really well, and he was really trying to get hard-tramped in that second moto. I mean, it came down to, you know, the last couple corners, and Jet was unable to get it done, so he ended up fourth overall, but still a really good ride, and coming off of a DNF-DNF at Loretta Lens 2 in the mud, I'm sure that had to feel really good for him. Now, for those of you who don't know, some, uh, some interesting news coming out of the Geico Honda team, and I do not break news, so if you want to go search around for that info, it's out there. Check Twitter, check some of the message boards. But uh, some interesting news was delivered to the Geico Honda team and their riders over the weekend, so I will be curious to see how that all plays out. Jet Lawrence is highly sought after. I don't think that any teams will be able to make a run at him. I think he'll be locked into that team regardless of what happens. But I could promise you that there's going to be a lot of phone calls made trying to get Jet Lawrence. That's just how this sport works. If there's any blood in the water or perceived weakness or even a perceived opportunity, teams are going to be all over that. So if you're Jet Lawrence, it's a good time to be Jet Lawrence. I can tell you that. Justin Cooper finally showed some signs of life there. Second in that second moto. He rode really well, too. It wasn't, you know, a gimme or anything like that. He earned it. He kept uh, J-Mart honest. And it's really the first time I've seen anything resembling Justin Cooper of 2019. So positive signs. I'm sure it, you know he had a huge sigh of relief because he came into the series injured. He had a boxer's fracture that uh, he was definitely not prepared for the series quite yet. And not, you know, I guess the real question I have is, will we see Justin Cooper just jump right back into a podium guy again? Or was that a step in the right direction, but we'll see more struggling along the way? And only he can answer that, but I can tell you that getting his patented hole shots will go a long way towards uh, helping his, you know, future results out. So just something to watch for. You know, I, I think uh, moving forward that Monster Star Yamaha has a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but high hopes definitely for Cooper. You know, they re-signed him, and, and I think they would peg him as their championship contender for 2021. So to see him back in the mix – was probably a relief for everybody involved. And uh, to have him as a one-two punch with Ferrandis, even though they don't really like each other per se, I don't think they necessarily get along. But it's always nice to have another blue bike in the title fight or at least running up front versus uh, – or at least maybe you can you can spread it out and gain some points over uh, the likes of Jeremy Martin. So something, something else to watch for there. The last note I have on the 250 class was Joe Shimoda and – he is a part of that Geico Honda team, and he's one of the guys that I don't know what his plans are for 2021. I don't know if he'll be back. I don't know 
what his status is. You know, I don't even know if he had a current contract. I, I think he was scheduled to stay there, but with some of the news coming out, I don't know whether that will be the case or not. So for him to put in good rides, it's a very critical time for him. He needs to, he needs to put his best foot forward and show teams that he is worth a spot. If it's not at Geico Honda, regardless, maybe they can sign him up. Now, unfortunately for the 250 class, it seems like rides are contracting and not expanding. So there will be several guys in the same situation that maybe Joe Shimoda will be in. Maybe Brandon Hartramps will be in. And that could go for guys like Carson Mumford too. You know, there, there are a lot of guys that are just moving up or maybe you've been established for a couple of years. Alex Martin's in that same boat too. There will be several guys that are all vying for the same spots because some teams are going to get smaller. And that's just, that's a bummer all the way across the board. You could point towards COVID-19. You could point towards just some sponsors leaving the sport or whatever. Uh, but at this point, with as many good guys as we have in the sport, we need more rides, not less. And uh, I think you're just going to see some guys left out in the cold, which is always a bummer. So let's get into some of the sponsors for this week. You know, And I'm blessed to have some of the best sponsors in this sport. Pirelli Tires, great job for them. They have... Uh, They've really been getting some great starts. And if you see Freddie Noren running up front, he's been in, at the front of every start. And maybe, you know, he didn't get the whole shot this weekend, but every single round so far you've seen the yellow 31 near the front. And it's helped his results. He's been pretty good this year so far. Now, I've had a few people asking how they can get some uh, some rider support and be on Team Pirelli MX. Well, there is a link in their Instagram bio. So if you go to at Pirelli MX and click on the link, it will give you instructions on how to join the Pirelli Tires Rider Support Program. So that's a pretty cool deal. Obviously, being a Western Power Sports employee, we love to see customers going to dealers. But the simple fact is, is that rider support has a place in the sport, and a lot of people appreciate it. So go check that out. Also, should mention that Alex Martin is still running third in the 250 Championship on Pirelli Tires. Blends all oils. You go to Buenzal.com and learn more, but racers of both two-stroke and four-stroke engines have proven that Gold Label will give you an edge over the competition. Gold Label increases horsepower, will give you more throttle response, lowers operating temperature, and helps with RPM as well. Go to Buenzal.com to learn the appropriate mixtures for each two-stroke and four-stroke. That's pretty cool because you can use it in both bikes, and they... they Obviously, you add a little bit less for four-strokes, but it, it does help the four-stroke side. And then the two-stroke, you're just basically using it as your, your premix. So they have all the mixtures for, you know, 32 to 1, 40 to 1, all that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I like the versatility that Blenzol offers. So go to at Blenzol Instagram or Blenzol.com. You can do the mixed pint cases, and, and they have lots of offers on there too. Works Connection, it's new bike season. Have you got a new bike? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but... You can get a tack hour meter from Works Connection to make sure that you are servicing your bike on time. You can also get new radiator braces to keep your bike from, you know, those crashes that everybody's worried about. You get a brand new bike and then go crash it and then, oh, crap, you need to fix your radiators already. We'll get radiator braces to protect against that. WorksConnection.com, at Works Connection. You can also get the Pro Launch Start Device. Guys like Freddie Norn that I mentioned with the, on the Pirelli side. Guys like Alex Martin that, that whole shot at those motos at Loretta's. Guys like Star Yamaha, that whole shot, seemingly every single moto ever, they all use the Works Connection Pro Launch Start Device. So go check those guys out. They have a long and storied tradition in moto for a reason. Pump Creek Funding, more news on that this week. 
July home purchases are up 15% from this same time last year. That's not an accident. I keep telling you guys, and, and honestly, you're listening because I talk to Zach all the time and, and listeners of this podcast are reaching out and getting refinancing deals done, which is awesome because for you, you're just going to save money. There's, it's a win-win situation for everybody. I love connecting like-minded people and helping people, and you get to save a ton of money. The Federal Reserve came out on Thursday. I believe it was Thursday, maybe Wednesday. Sometime this week, I, I watched it, and they were talking about steps they're going to take over the next few years to make sure that our economy stays on the right track. Now, a big part of that will be keeping interest rates low. So that helps all of us. So what I would ask you to do is start making plans to take advantage of it, just like I'm going to do. I'm going to try to buy something in the next year or two while these rates are so low. Because honestly, once the economy rebounds and we get past this pandemic, which will happen, we're going to have to find a way to pay for all these things, right? All the stimulus packages and rates being so low, rates will go back up. That's a fact. We are at an all-time low for a reason because we absolutely need to be. We will be back at, you know, three, four, five in the next couple of years. I, I think most people would agree on that. So what you need to do is take advantage of it now and lock yourself in for the next, you know, 20, 25, 30 years, whatever your time frame is to make sure you can save a ton of money. Reach out to Plum Creek Funding at Plum Creek Funding on Instagram. Zach's cell phone, 720-212-4685, and he can get you dialed. The biggest thing, and I keep saying this week after week because it's, it's, just what I believe there, it doesn't cost anything to ask questions and you can only learn from talking to Zach and figure out what the best situation is for you because everybody's financial situation is different. Everybody's time horizon is different and he can help make some sense of all those things. Premier vapor blasting of Georgia. You know, one thing I've watched through this whole pandemic when people are stuck at home as they were all kind of working on their bikes and they're working on their houses and doing all kinds of things because we're all bored at home. But they were refurbishing their bikes, and, and Steve Mathis is doing one right now. He's doing an old 500 that he used to own. Well, that's right up Premier Vapor Blasting's alley. They, are the, they were voted number one for your vapor blasting needs. It's the safest method in surface restoration also. It, it's not going to hurt the product integrity. It's not going to weaken your product. It's just going to clean it and make it look like new again, which is pretty awesome. It's safe, like, it's safe on items like rubber and plastic but it's also gentle enough to clean radiators without damaging those fins too. So it really is all purpose. It can kind of do it all. And if your bike's just beat up and hammered, maybe you rode a mud race like Loretta Lens too. You can make that bike look brand new again by visiting at Premier Vapor Blasting. And if you mention this podcast, you get 25% off. So that's a heck of a deal. So check those guys out. Mention the Industry Seating Podcast. 612suspension.com. You go to at 612suspension. That's S-I-X the number one, two suspension. Ronnie has a full service suspension company and he's, he's second generation with this obviously knows what he's doing, learned from his dad, but he's been around for a long time. And, and those that are in Florida will know immediately who I'm talking about. But the cool thing is, is you don't have to be some full-time moto guy or off-road guy. You know, you could just have a side-by-side, -side, but you could be a big fan and you could have a need for this. You could have a street bike. You could have an off-road bike. You could have a pit bike. You could have something with an engine that has suspension on it probably needs to be serviced. Now, if you want to get serious and he is a race tech affiliated, affiliated company and you want to go racing even better, we can get you super dialed, right? That's the cool thing is it's really full service. Every single use that you have for power sports, 
well, maybe not a jet ski, but we're working on that. We're working on something for a jet ski. But go to 612suspension.com. We gave away a full rebuild last week, so congrats to Tim on that. But again, mention the Industry Seating Podcast. Get a 20% discount on parts and labor, which is cool because he's just, you know, I mentioned before, he's just eating the margin on that on those parts. The labor I can see, right? You can, you can uh, maybe your time's worth a little less in that scenario, but the parts, that that's just on him. So he's really offering a good deal to check out 612suspension.com. Fast Foundry. Now, Fast Foundry is a tech solutions company. So if you are getting into a startup, which I was watching a show this week, and there is a ton of money pouring into private equity and venture capitalist stuff right now because Americans are going through a tough time. Things are at a bargain. You can really get involved with something right now at a much better price than maybe, I don't say ever before, but in a very long time. So if you're in that situation or maybe you've been thinking about it, reach out to Fast Foundry and see what they can do for you. They can get you much more efficient. They could probably help you avoid several pitfalls. Or maybe you've been in business for a really long time. And for you, it's all about getting efficient right now. You need to get down to fighting weight and make sure your business can survive this pandemic, which is, I don't want to say most of American businesses, but a, a pretty big portion of American businesses right now, efficiency is a big word, right? And Unfortunately, some of that comes with layoffs and um, you really have to take a look at expenses because you don't know maybe where your next dollar is coming from. So Fast Foundry can help with all of that. They can help you modernize. They can help you update your automation, which is all going to save you money long term. They've worked with Fortune 500 companies before. They've worked with brand new startups. So they have a wealth of experience and a really broad base versatility wise so they can pinpoint what's exactly going to help you and your size company. So reach out to those guys. Ask for Robert at fastfoundry.com. Last but not least, Fly Racing. Zacho is still in the points lead. And I saw him wearing some Rockstar-themed gear this weekend, and it looked pretty cool. Now, I do have a say, and we have a, a process for developing the new line. But always Rockstar, you know, is one of those ones where we have a lot of guidelines we need to go off of, and it has to be yellow, and it has to have black, and it has to have all these things, so we don't get to be as creative with Rockstar, I feel like. But I watched him riding around this weekend. I'm like, man, that stuff looks really good. I, I was pumped on it, and I even had somebody tweet me about how, how good it looked, and they were absolutely right. So kudos to the Fly Racing team for having some stuff that really jumped out to me, even though we have some pretty strict guidelines for Rockstar branding. He's still in the points lead. He's 13 points up, which we're going to get into. Uh, but check out for the formula from Fly Racing, formula.flyracing.com. Go to at Fly Racing USA Instagram. That's all I got. Fly Racing. Check it out. So let's jump into the 450. I appreciate all of you listening to those sponsors. I know it can drag on a bit. I listen to a ton of podcasts myself, so I understand that sometimes you don't want to hear me selling you. But that's how the world works. Advertising. Moto companies, we all work together. We all have to buy things. We all need to support moto companies. That's how we all get better. Okay, 450s. And seriously, what a weekend of racing. The 450 class is not normally a bees hive of battling like that. You know, I think for so many years, we've just seen a very elite group at the front. And that's kind of it. You know, it's like Tomac and then whoever can challenge Tomac. I feel like that's been the narrative for... I don't know, three years, four years, you know, going back to even Dungey. It was whoever can bring the fight to Tomac, and it usually was only one guy at a time, but that's not really what we're seeing right now. 
And in the face of that, I have Tomac going 2-1 for the win, which I have to swallow. But if you did watch the race, you'll know what I'm talking about because we had guys like Barsha and Osborne and Cincerillo and Marvin Muscan, and then a little bit further back was Sexton. But all those guys were in the fight. It wasn't a runaway by anybody throughout the weekend at all. And at different times, if you just pressed stop, you could have made a, an argument for a few different guys winning. You know, that first moto, Marvin was, you know, a little bit unchallenged, but Tomac was there. And I think I think we felt like Tomac was going to get in there and maybe find a way around. He didn't. And that's okay. But the second moto, I, I think, was a better example where, you know, Osborne gets the whole shot and you're like, oh, man, you know, Osborne's been so strong. Maybe he just leads this wire to wire. And then Cincerillo just ramps it up to an 11 and goes to the lead. And you're like, oh, boy, AC might run away here. It, because if you were watching the time qualifying lap times, you saw how much pace AC had. Like he, he was fast all day long. So I was kind of wondering, like, hey, man, if he really puts in five of his best laps here, he may have a you know five-plus second lead at the end of that, and he, and he may just be gone at that point. That wasn't meant to be, and we saw those other guys come, come through. You know, Tomac got it done, which he absolutely needed. He needed to win on Saturday, and, and I've kind of made mention of that throughout last week's shows and articles was that Tomac really needed a statement day to change the narrative and get this ship turned back around going the right direction because it had completely come off the rails. You know, the train was off the tracks, leaving Loretta Lens too. So for Tomac, he goes into the race down 40 points, and he leaves down 27. That's a pretty big step forward. Is it perfect? No. Is he down more than an entire moto? Yes. But if you're really just looking at a big picture, that's a that's a nice step forward. And you also get to leave with, you know, knowing that maybe you're the fastest guy again. You know, maybe if all things can, are equal, you can you can win these motos. And I, I don't think he ever really lost confidence, but it wasn't going all that well. He hadn't won a moto yet. So really nice day for Tomac. And then you have Marv getting in there. And, and Marv is second in the points. He's only 13 down. He wins that moto in an impressive fashion. That was just a great ride from Marvin. And that guy is so precise with his front tire. When you're watching him hop across bumps and he's just finding these ways to save time, it is really impressive. And he is just so incredibly talented at that. It's it's like poetry in motion when it's when it's all working. So great to have Marv back and, and be back. You know, it was, a, it was a full year from his knee injury last year at Ironman. And uh, at the press conference, you know, people are asking, like, if he rode badly because, you know, is, he hurt his knee in the second moto in Ironman. I just roll my eyes because, no, he's not thinking about Ironman's second moto last year in the middle of a race this year. He's, he's not. That crash happened right off the start, the second moto. He's, he's going. When you're in the middle of a race like that, you're not doing a lot of necessarily thinking. You're reacting and you're – kind of going off of all the training you know you almost fall into I don't want to say it's like a a military style because there is time to kind of catch your breath and think a little bit but if you've ever listened to a Navy SEAL talk or a trained you know soldier or whatever they just say they're relying on their training they're just reacting and it's all instinct based off of things they've done a thousand times and that's kind of what racing is you're really just trying to execute what you've done all week and, and all those motos you've done and all that training you've done, you're just letting it happen. So no, 
to answer the question in the press conference, I do not believe that Marvin was thinking about his injury from a year before. Even if it crossed his mind in between motos, once the gate drops, all that crap goes out the window. So good ride from Marvin. He cut the lead from 19 to 13. He had an opportunity, though. If he rides better in that second moto, he could have been under 10, and it could have gotten real serious going into Redbud. But if you're really looking for a silver lining, the lead got smaller, and that's a net positive. He won a moto. That's a net positive. So for Marv, he's still, you know, he's still healing. He's still in that healing process, and he's still trying to get better and better. The one question I would have asked if I was in the press conference is, did pushing so hard in that first moto winning, you know, because you always, I I know it's true for me in the races I've won in my life, not necessarily at that level, but still winning is winning. Your intensity is through the roof. You're, there's so much adrenaline flowing through you while you're winning a race that I wondered if it was a little bit, you know, if that energy exertion weighed on him in the second moto. I think his line choice suffered, which I, you know, I opened this podcast with, but I also think there's a chance that he was suffering from energy deficiency and I don't want to say tired, but he just didn't really have that extra, you know, 1% that it takes to run at the very front because of how hard he pushed in that first moto leading that race like that. So that's like the last thing that comes back from an injury is that, that last little bit, you know, the quick recovery, these guys only have an hour before they're racing again, forget about. He's got to go do podium interviews. He's got to get back to the truck. He's got to get undressed. He's got to get, you know, fluids back in him, probably some sort of video watching and then back down there for staging. It's literally no time. So that little recovery window that they have now in pro motocross is probably the last bit of fitness that he's lacking. And he, and man, it's so subtle. It's just a small little thing that he could be doing motos at his house and, and think he's a hundred percent, but it's really hard to mimic that intensity and just the drain emotionally and all those things that winning a moto and pushing that hard puts on you. You, you really can't replicate it at home. So I think next time in, in muscle memory, it'll come back quickly, right? He, he went through it this weekend. I don't think it's going to take long at all because he's been at that level for so long. I think you'll see him come back at red Bud and be really strong, both motos. And I could be I could be totally wrong, but that's just what I saw. He just lacked a little bit of intensity. Maybe wasn't working through the track as quickly as he should have and, and changing his line choice. Because remember, he hasn't raced for a whole year. So to think he's gonna come back and just be able to win both motos going away is is probably a bit soon. But I think we're also seeing him get a lot better really quickly. And, you know, he he's only he was only nineteen points down going in but he'd only had one moto on the podium and, and he even mentioned that is consistency had really gotten him to second place in the points not flat out speed so what well, we saw flat out speed in that first moto so i think he's kind of back um and he needs to be he's got a you know hot and heavy tomac coming and he's he's 13 points out of a championship run right now so good job from marv happy to see him back he's such a nice guy and he adds a lot to the series next on my list is barsha seriously barsha was incredible um really really impressed with what barsha brought especially in that second moto the first moto was good but i mean second moto you could argue he was the best rider on the track you know tomac wins which good for him but barsha came from further back and you know he made several runs on tomac and just just couldn't get around him and i'll tell you what tomac's probably lucky that barsha couldn't get there because i think barsha would have just teed him up you know maybe tomac doesn't crash but if he gets to him on that last lap, I think you see contact. That's just how Barsha rolls. 
And those two seem to have a little rivalry going anyway. Now, what I don't know is how they really feel about each other. Now, I don't think they necessarily like each other all that much. If you remember the the run-in they had at Atlanta this year, that was much talked about. Clearly, there were some hard feelings leaving Atlanta. But they've been on the same Motocross of Nations team before. They've been forced – I don't want to say forced, but they've been on the same team as Team USA before. So they've spent a lot of time around each other. But I think if you put Barsha in a situation where he can win a moto at this stage of his career, I think he goes in there with no mercy. And maybe we would have got some serious storylines out of that. Could you imagine if he knocks Tomac down on that last lap? Golly, we would have endless drama going on at the races, especially after the struggle that Tomac's had so far this season. But it's not what happened. Tomac won. Barsha couldn't get there. And, yeah, we all get to, uh, to live another day. But, seriously, Barsha deserves a ton of credit. Sounds like he's got that gas gas deal done. So he will be on a factory gas gas bike as the sole 450 rider over there next season. And he listen, he's been trying to get on a factory KTM, which is what that bike will be for several years now. He he's pushed and asked and and tried to maneuver and it just has that door's never been open to him, but it is now. So where does that take him? I don't know, but he's certainly riding very well and uh, for a guy that I don't want to say everybody but a few people have pointed to as saying, "Yeah, it's kind of, kind of winding down for Barsha." You know, this—you might see him start to ride off into the into the distance here. I think he's kind of back. I think these tracks, with the moisture we've had, the Yamaha has really responded well. We, we've heard out of their own mouths that when there's a ton of traction, it's ruddy like that. That the Yamaha is in its element, and that's certainly helped Barsha so far. We saw him win. That uh, first moto, Loretta Lens 2, by, well, he was winning by a minute before he crashed. So clearly there's something there. And I, I don't think we're going to really get away from that. I think you're going to see rain and moisture and ruddy, soft tracks, very conducive to the Yamaha the rest of, this, the, rest of the way for this series. So that's good news for Barsha. But I also think he's probably rejuvenated by that gas gas signing because I think he b- believes that bike can take him to the next level. So mentally and physically and track conditions-wise – Things are looking up for Barsha. Now, Adam Cincerillo, I am a huge AC fan. I text with uh, Chris Betts. If you listen to the Pulp Show, you know who that is quite a bit as of late. And uh, he is all-time AC fan. But, you know, I've watched AC ride most of his life. And uh, I really like him. I think he approaches the sport the right way. And he has a, you know, a solid head on his shoulders. And he's not, you know, no ego. And he just does things the right way. I love the comments that come out of his mouth, even if things are going incredibly poorly. Like when he threw away that, you know, Supercross championship crash to Vegas, the poise he showed in the face of that much adversity, I think there isn't much more that can speak for your character than that. So I always root for AC, maybe even more than I should because, you know, I have sponsored athletes that are in competition with him. But he was riding incredibly well all day. He, you know, kind of killed everybody in time qualifying just by a couple seconds in that first one, and then it was better again in the second one. And when he got out front in that second moto, I was like, oh, boy, we might see AC get his first win here. He might check out. But uh, you can tell he's just lacking a little bit of fitness. In the press conference, he mentioned that his back issues from Supercross really weighed in on his ability to train for this outdoor championship, which is a bummer because you can tell he's missing a few minutes there, and fit, just fitness-wise. At the 25-minute mark, it didn't fall apart, you know, because he still ended up fourth in the moto. 
but he wasn't able to hold that pace. He just wasn't able to go with the leaders when they cranked it all the way up, which is what happens in a battle and in the 450 class. Those guys go to some alternate dimension as far as fitness and intensity. It was just a little bit much for Adam at this point. Now, I'm sure they'll be working on it. He, you know, he has Nick Way in his corner, and Nick knows what it takes. He, he can see that happen a mile away. You know, the only problem is it's going to take time. Like that, those last few minutes aren't going to happen overnight. But if he continues to put himself in a position like that to run up front, it will come. It will get easier. You know, he'll, he won't be, I don't want to say panicking because I don't think that's really what was happening. But when you're leading your first moto like that, or, you know, I guess Loretta's he led for a minute, I think your heart rate's going to be a little bit higher at this point of Adam's career than maybe it would be a year or two from now. Because I think every single time you get to the front, it gets a little bit easier and it's not a surprise anymore. And you're able to kind of expect it. And then you can manage your breathing and like, okay, I'm used to this, right? I'm used to the pace. I'm used to who I'm racing with. I'm winning a 450 moto. It's not that big of a deal. I should be up here where I think, and this is all speculation, of course, but I think right now for Adam, when he gets up there, it's like 200, you know, his heart rates at 200 and he's just blowing himself up because of all those things I just mentioned where it's so new to him and it's this big spectacle and he's racing against guys that he's been watching for years, but now he's in that moment. And now it's the biggest stage in the world. Well, you know, I don't want to give a slight to him XGP, but as far as America goes, this is as big as it gets. And he is at the forefront of the biggest series we have. And I think that just takes a little bit of a toll just a little bit more energy because he's a little bit overexcited and he will calm down. He'll, he'll start to allow that to come back to him a little bit where he can slow things down. And those of you that watch football, you'll hear that phrase thrown around 10 million times for rookie quarterbacks that the game slows down. They see things happening before they happen and they know what to expect. And you know, that first year when you're out there, everything's happening a million miles an hour and you're just trying to keep up. That's kind of what I think is happening for Adam right now. And that'll get easier. That, that's the fortunate part for Adam is that will get better and the game will slow down. The race will slow down. And I think you'll start to see him win more and more. Chase Sexton, pretty solid day. I really thought he would be on the podium. And if he got better starts, he might have because he, his riding was great. He looked awesome on the bike. You could really see his talent and his technique playing out. I mean, the, the kid is just so damn talented on a motorcycle he's you know standing up through the corners and putting the bike wherever he wants it and he's just going to get better right he he's these, these are his first 450 races ever you know he didn't ride the 450 in supercross like adam did to gain all that experience so he's out there with guys some of these guys he's literally never raced against ever you know a guy like tomac i don't think he's ever raced against so it's a big learning process for him but i have been more than impressed by chase sexton so far this year and i think he's just going to get better I could absolutely see him winning a moto this season before it's over. Now, as for the title, you know, there's a lot happening here, um, and I'm thankful for it. I love to go into a weekend and have all of these moving parts and pieces, right? Zacco had a 19-point lead over Muscan and a 40-point lead over Tomac, and both of those came down significantly because of Wacko's tough moto in the first moto. So what's going to happen? 
I don't know. You know, Zach's got to, he's got to win some motos, right? And I'm sure he knows that because he, what he needs to do is just keep the status quo. He, if he can win some motos and then stay on the podium consistently and keep that point lead above 10, then he can just kind of manage the series. And, and in a nine race championship, things are going to happen very quickly. We don't even know that we're going to get all nine races in. We don't even know if we do where those nine races will happen, right? Are we going to really be allowed to go to Southern California in October? I don't know. You know, maybe we end up at High Point in Southern Pennsylvania that last weekend. Are we going to be allowed to go to Colorado? That's another question mark. Nobody really can answer that yet. We're scheduled to. We're hoping to. But I don't think we can count on it. So for Zach, if he can keep the points lead manageable, and when I say manageable, I mean above 10, that's going to keep him in a very good spot to where whatever variables come, wherever we end up racing, he has wiggle room. Now on the other side of that coin for Tomac and Marvin, they got to make work happen now. Like they got to get points cut down now because, you know, what happens if we're around six or seven and we're still kind of in the same dynamic we are? There's a little bit of a yo-yoing. Tomac comes back. He loses points. Zacho has a good moto. Tomac has a good moto. And they say, hey, we're, we're going to cut this down. We can only get, we're only going to be able to get eight rounds in. You know, or we move the, the series to seven or we move the tracks from Paula to Mount Morris. Like those are all things that heavily favor the points leader. So they need to get this thing down much more quickly than a standard year because normally you can almost count on there being 12 races. You're not really worried about some weirdo virus interrupting everything, and you're not dependent on state governors to tell you if you can race or not. Right now we are. That's never been the case. So you can almost plan out. You know, After three rounds, if Tomac was down 27, I think he would be much calmer than he probably is right now. Even, even with less races, I think just the predictability of knowing everywhere we're going and that the races would absolutely happen, that's a calmer feeling than the world we live in right now because week to week, things are changing and happening and decisions are being made. So the, really, the urgency level goes up for all these guys. And for Zacho, if he can win some races and put a ton more pressure on these guys with a very short series, it, will, it starts to look much better for him. Now, I think in the end, we're going to have a very tight series. Even though we're, you know, it doesn't really look that way at the moment, I just have a feeling, and you know, deep down that this is going to get really, really tight. Because I think Marvin's going to get better. I think he's going to continue to heal. His fitness is going to get better, and he's going to improve. I think Zacho's going to have really good days. Like the WW Ranch track, I think, is a really good one for him. But it is for Tomac, too. But if you remember, last year, that was kind of Zach's breakout weekend. Like, he really proved at WW Ranch that he could fight and contend for wins. So look for Zacho to try to make a statement at that race as well. Then we go towards the end of the series, and you have Colorado, which we know is Tomac's home state. Even though it's six hours from his house, it's really hard to bet against Tomac at Colorado. So... I think that the things I'm talking about, these guys all know, right? They've been in much more championship scenarios than I have, and they have very smart people around them kind of telling them what to expect and what we need to do, right? If you're in Zach's corner, this is what we need to do. If you're in Marvin's corner, this is what we need to do. If you're in Tomac's corner, this is what we need to do. The interesting thing is if you're Alden Baker and you're you're advising more than one of these guys, you know, how do you manage that? You tell Marv, hey, man, you got to cut some points into Zacho. And then if you're, you go in five minutes later and you go talk to Zach and you're like, 
you just got to keep the status quo on Marv, right? That's, that's not a new dynamic for Alden Baker, but it's something that if I was one of those riders, I would just kind of be looking at him, you know, sideways a little bit like, okay, you're telling me this, but what did you just tell the other guy before you walked in here? Now Alden has all this figured out. You remember he was dealing with Anderson and Marvin going for the same title. He's dealt with, you know, Webb and all these guys, Roxon and Bill Poto. This isn't anything new for Alden, but as a rider, it has to be a little bit interesting to wonder what he's telling you and then what he's telling your competitor that is also under his tutelage too. But just something to watch. And then you have obviously the Tomac side where Osborne used to train with Tomac. And this is really their first foray into battling for a title against each other. Now, selfishly, I hope that we get the best and most interesting championship ever because I'm purely a fan and I want to watch. Even more selfishly, I hope Osborne wins because he wears fly racing. And that would be awesome for our brand. That would be our first ever Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship in the 450 class. And we will take it. Absolutely. So that's it for this week. We got a lot of racing coming up. I'm staying in Indiana this week. And I'll be at Redbud Thursday night and ready for Friday race. And then I will stay in the South Bend area and then be there for the Monday race too. So a big week for me, lots of racing and lots of talking coming. I'm not sure what we'll do with industry seating yet. Maybe we'll just do Sunday, uh, a Sunday update. And then maybe I'll, I'll bust out one for Tuesday as well, just to cover both races. I'll, I'll figure that out. And uh, either way, I'll have at least one show. That's for sure. But if you guys are wanting more info, I will do my Patreon podcast on both race mornings, so Friday and Monday morning. And you can check that out on patreon.com slash industry seating. And uh, it's a little bit more fantasy-based and a little bit more timely, uh, basically a preview of what's going to happen, I believe, that day. And just kind of the latest gossip that's going on. Just another, another way to share info with all of you and for me to flap my gums some more. So anyways, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Check out all the sponsors. I cannot thank them enough. Or if you're a rider, you just say, I can't thank them. I really hate when riders say that, but that's kind of what happens in this sport. But anyway, talk to you next week. See you.